Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. I'm your host, Charlie, and I'm here with my favorite co-host, James. Happy to be here, Charlie, with my other favorite co-host, you. Good. We, I think we have short lists, but at least we're at the top. <laughs> yeah, my list of favorite co-hosts is just one deep. Charlie and I are both PhD students who read a lot of papers for our own research, so this podcast is our way of sharing our love for diving deep into the science with other people who are interested. Other nerds. Other nerds. Casual That's right. nerds. That's right. Self-proclaimed you nerds. Listening. You. You nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlie, can you tell us a little bit about the story you're bringing in this week? Yeah. This is going to be old news to you because you actually are the one who suggested this to me. So, oh, to be fair, I only read the headline and was like, Charlie, you might like this, being our resident athlete. Yes, ex-athlete is more like it. But uh, so the paper is about endurance athletes overtraining and what effect that has on like cognitive function. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I could give you a little teaser. Yeah, it's, let's hear it. It's not great, but it's also not, I mean, it's not horrible, but they do find actually that these athletes who are overtrained and overworked experience like a, de a certain decline in, I think they call it, um, their cognitive control system, which has to do with like impulse control and overcoming stress signals and stuff like that. Interesting. So perhaps not necessarily a case of mind over matter, you might say. Yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> I mean, actually, though, yeah, like I think the implications of this study are pretty deep for anyone who is training at that level. Okay. Like, that, that Like the idea of mind over matter comes into play when you have the mental faculty to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you're overtrained, you might not. Interesting. So there's a notice. Some there is some level of effect, perhaps. There is. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. Can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah, I can't wait to tell you. Welcome to Paper Boys. Before we get started on this exciting episode about <laughs> extreme fatigue, um, we just wanted to invite you, if you haven't already, to check us out on social media. Our handle is at paperboyspod. Excellent alliteration. Hard to forget. <laughs> we do love it when people reach out on social media. You could also send us an email. That's more your style. Paperboyspod at gmail.com. We also invite you to check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash paperboyspod. Uh, but yeah, our Patreon, we have bonus episodes. The one this month, we got lots of positive feedback on. Actually, several people signed up just to hear that one. It's about Universe 25, which is this scary mouse utopia that experienced a complete societal collapse. It was like a dystopian kind of... I mean, the paper was like a dystopian novel, basically. If you have any interest in science fiction becoming science fact, this is a bonus episode for you. It's yeah. really weird, wacky bringing in all sorts of different threads that should not be in a science paper, but show up in a actually pretty well, I'd say well-studied paper. Yeah, it was disturbing is the first word that comes to mind when I think back on it. Yeah. So check that out. That's uh, You get that for $3.14, super nerdy first tier to have, pie dollars, and you get bonus episodes every month for that. And then there's much more benefits that you can get with the higher tiers. So please check that out, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. So with that, 
I think it's time to dive in to the effects of endurance training on your mental faculty. Charlie, tell us more. It is. I mean, this is reading this paper was a little close to home because I yeah. was because I was an athlete in college in an endurance sport known as rowing. Trying to also do a challenging college degree. Yes, a very mentally fatiguing major, also it, known as aerospace engineering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how you did that, man. That's pretty crazy. I basically just clung on for life <laughs> and survived <laughs> for four years. Jesus, that's insane. But here you are. Now you're a paper boy. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it was all that rowing just propelled you towards paper boydom it did yeah it was you know that's and that's why i stuck with it all those years you saw the light at the end of the <laughs> yeah, tunnel was having your own podcast i knew that it would lead <laughs> me to this road um okay so where was this popping up in popular news so there were some news articles about this specific paper npr said too much training can tax athletes brains hmm. and then cnn said too much exercise could lead to bad decisions on what you eat and buy. That one's actually a little bit misleading. Well, the next one is more misleading. So New York Post, our favorite, says too much exercise can lead athletes to make bad decisions, colon, study. <laughs> I hate headlines like that. That's like classic New York Post. I know. Well, no, classic New York Post would be some crazy pun. <laughs> That's true. Some like highly inappropriate wordplay. I but. feel like their journalists honestly must take like what they want to say in a headline and then like sort of a la XKCD boil it down to like the thousand most common words. Yes. But not just like the most common words, like the most common vulgar slang words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like like the top 1000 entries on Urban Dictionary. Yes. And then make their headlines out of that. Yep. But I love it. I but love in this it. case, in this case, it was a little more tasteful, but it was the actual content of the article that was misleading. But we can get into that at the end. Um, the CNN headline talking about bad decisions on what you eat and buy. The the article was actually good, but this paper was not really about those bad decisions, which is why I say it was misleading. Okay. Hmm. Well, so where did this paper originally arise then? The original journal article or conference paper that sparked all of these popular news headlines. So the actual paper is, was published in Current Biology, which is a journal, uh, and it was published on October 7th, 2019 just last week. And the title is Neurocomputational Impact of Physical Training Overload on Economic Decision Making. All right. Do you want to break that down for us a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of words. So neurocomputational impact, it's basically just what is the actual cost to your brain's ability to make decisions at the at like the neuronal level and then uh, of physical training overload. So they kind of run these athletes through this they call it an overreaching training program. And then uh, the effect of that on economic decision making. Okay. So like, so they kind of do this like psychometric test, like a behavioral task. If you've ever done like participated in a, psych a psychology study, mm -hmm. this, all this will be very familiar too when we get to it. Okay, cool. I'm starting to get a sort of sense of the landscape, like make someone do a lot of hard exercise for a long time judge them at different stages with the psychometric tests yeah they perform yeah it's actually pretty straightforward i mean this seems like it would have been a hard study to put together because they took these i think it was 39 uh like professional triathletes and they had them all like do this study and so like i can't imagine their coaches were exactly thrilled with half of them 
being thrown into an overtraining schedule. But um, <laughs> yeah, coach, it's for science. <laughs> yeah, it's for science. Also, I hope they got paid or something because I mean, having the experience of being an endurance athlete like this, I wouldn't voluntarily increase my workload by forty percent. I mean, these guys yeah, are already training at like one of the highest levels you can train at. Yeah, I mean, so they're probably already putting in like 40 hours a week of just training. Yeah, um, yeah. So, okay. I mean, I think this is really interesting. I actually remember like in high school asking one of my coaches like, is burnout a real thing? And Dude, burnout is very real. Yeah? I mean, I'm not, I'm actually not even really speaking from experience. Like from this paper and from all this background stuff, I found stuff like lots of material on this. Really? Okay. That's, that's fascinating. Wait, what did, I want to know what your coach said though. Um, he said, shut up, Jimmy, get back on the mat. <laughs> I mean, basically, but no, it was interesting. He was saying that like, yeah, you do need to take like a good week or two. I mean, his context was in like high school sports. So very different than high intensity D1 college competition or professional uh, professional competition. But um, I mean, there were guys on my team who would like, you know, we would have Sundays off and they would go down to the gym and like lift and an erg on the day off. And I'm like, oh, my God, I I'm like, I'm barely scraping by with the six days we're doing now. I don't know how you how you're doing this. They were much faster than I was. (laughs) I don't know. That's amazing that their bodies didn't just like break down, though. Well, so, uh, yeah, I mean, reading through this study, I kind of started to feel like there's something psychological that's going on here like i think that it comes down to a a brain function level really at that point yeah i mean yeah like everyone's doing the same training volume mm-hmm. on a team but some people are way better and it's like and you kind of notice when you're around those different athletes like some of them kind of have this certain spark which is the nice way to say it and i would and say like a screw loose is probably the more <laughs> accurate way to say it that like really drives them to a level that I personally could never get to, you know. Interesting. Like it, it's just um like they're not getting fatigued at that level, but like almost even like more energized. Yeah, like they just have another level in their mind that they can like break through that I just was not able to do. Wow. And this paper kind of lays out there may be an actual like neurological basis for that ability to push through that wall. Interesting. So I mean, looking at the paper, was there a specific hypothesis they wanted to test? Yeah. So They had some like interesting background research that they like this group. So I forgot to mention the first author. Oh, yeah. Bastion Blaine. Okay. I think it's a French name. So you can tell me if I got that wrong. But uh, I think he's a postdoc at University of London, but working with the some French name of a hospital in Paris. (laughs) Um, So he and this group that did this paper had done some research in the past on burnout in just like I think regular people. Mm -hmm. So they like they had them do cognitive tasks that were equivalent to like a full work day's worth of stuff. And then they did this fMRI study and they showed that um, what's called their cognitive control system gets fatigued. And these authors are sort of positing that this cognitive control system is some sort of like structure in the brain that affects your decision making. So what they found in these people when they did the kind of work day fatigue is that there was a decreased excitability of the lateral prefrontal cortex, something in the brain. Okay. And there was an increased preference for immediate rewards when presented with choice tasks. Oh, interesting. So 
with the sort of general wisdom that like usually you have to sort of postpone these immediate rewards for long-term rewards that are more beneficial. Yeah. And that requires a certain level of cognitive control. Okay. Which they're suggesting when you're fatigued, like physically fatigued, or if you've done a lot of um, mental work, like like a full work day or something, it basically reduces the ability of of that area of your brain to like stop you from making an impulsive choice. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I've definitely felt that when I'm tired. Oh, yeah. Like, like I got home today, day. I was pretty tired, and I was like, I'm not even going to eat dinner. I'm just going to eat ice cream. <laughs> like, <laughs> Excellent choice. Yeah. So they had done this research in the past, and their hypothesis for this paper is that, I'll just actually quote, they say it right in the abstract, the form of fatigue resulting from physical training overload might share some neural underpinnings with the form of fatigue observed after prolonged intellectual work. Okay. So basically, like overtraining as an athlete may be equivalently harmful to your brain as like overworking yourself at your job. On a neurological level. On a neurological level. That's interesting. I, I guess it's like you can look at someone who's just running or doing any sort of endurance workout like that. And you're like, oh, you know, they kind of just shut off their mind. But I guess that's kind of saying like your mind isn't shut down when you're doing these endurance workouts. Well, obviously, it's not shut down, but, you know, it's like... It's very active, actually. It's actually very active. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, there's actually an interesting quote in one of these news articles. This guy, Todd Braver, who's a professor of psychology at Washington University in St. Louis, he says, the brain appears to be constantly reassessing the value of a goal. So your brain is doing these kind of cost-benefit trade-offs all the time. Is it still worth the effort? Is it still worth the effort? Which, I mean, like... You and I and anyone who's done like a hard physical activity, like if you've ever run a 5K or anything, it's like there is a point in the race where you're actually asking yourself, I mean, is this still even worth it? Like if I just let up a little bit, I'll be okay. Like, yeah. Or you're like, wow, like this pace is really hard, uh, but I'm going to make my time if I keep it up. Or, exactly. You know, and it, even if it's like on a sort of very buried mental level, I think anyone can relate to that. Yeah, and so what you just said is is spot on about, hmm. well, if I keep this up, I'll make my time, which is like a long-term achievement that you're going for. Yeah. But the immediate benefit choice to make is to slow down because that will make you feel better. Um. So what they're suggesting is that when your brain gets fatigued in this way and it and it fatigues your cognitive control system, you're more likely to make the choice for the short-term like happiness, meaning I'm going to slow down right now, then for the long term, what is ultimately what you wanted more, which is to win the race. Wow. Okay. So you're more that likely to make that choice, which is why someone who's overtraining or something will um, will not perform as well. Okay. And there's actually a syndrome called overtraining syndrome where like, I mean, there are symptoms. Like what sort of stuff? Well, so it's, I mean, it's what you'd expect. So it's a chronic fatiguing illness that affects highly motivated endurance athletes characterized by declining performance when maintaining a normal training pro program and then it like they also there's also like psychological effects like these athletes exhibit depression sounds like grad students yeah i mean don't you kind of feel that way sometimes if you like don't take a vacation in a long time yeah i'm embarrassed to like say how short of a period of time that is but yeah so that is also a legitimate medical condition now according to the world health organization can they diagnose dogs? <laughs> you mean <laughs> like a prescribed dogs? Prescribed dog. <laughs> diagnose dogs. But. No, I don't think dogs ever get burnout. 
Um, no, but actually, it's funny because this whole World Health Organization announcing burnout is now like a medical condition. I was going to do an episode on this a couple months ago, and that, that was like a paper that came out. Oh, cool. I remember you bringing that up. So, I mean, it's a diagnosable condition. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's an article from Time that says physician burnout costs the U.S. billions of dollars each year. I believe that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of bouncing around, but I'm just trying to throw a lot of weight behind the fact that like this idea of burnout and of overtraining, whether it's at work or it's as an endurance athlete, is very real. It's not just it's not like psychosomatic. It's not it's not an excuse. It's actually could be a physical change in your brain that causes you to behave that way. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, I, there are, I have a lot of different thoughts on this and we can discuss it more, but how about we dive into some of the methods that they actually used for testing this? Yeah. 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 Now that we're, you know, 15, 20 minutes into this episode and I've just been <laughs> no, uh, shouting burnout at you. <laughs> I'm getting burned out. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, it's, that's why it's like, it's interesting because we've, I think anyone who's done anything in their life has experienced this. Whenever you're doing something repetitive or challenging. Yeah, something that's like extremely stimulating. So yeah, for this paper specifically, so I've kind of mentioned all the background and some of the research that this group has even done. And they're kind of just trying to identify the same effect in these athletes. And so what they did is they found this group of triathletes in France. I think it was, it was all men and there were 39 of them. And they split them into a control group and then um, a training overload group. Mm -hmm. And for the training over, so the control group, they just did um, like the standard training program. Actually, the researchers sort of developed like a program. This was, um, this was eight weeks in total. Okay. So for the first two weeks, both groups are just doing baseline. So that's like their regular training schedule, hundred percent. Then they do one week of tapering where they go down to a 60% training load. So you get like nice and rested up. And that's like a very common thing to do when you have like a race coming up or something. You'll taper for a, for a week mm -hmm. and it makes you faster. Okay. So after the taper, they do a three-week uh, training period. And the training period, that's the actual test for this. So it's three weeks where the control group is just doing their regular training regimen, 100%. But the training overload group is going to 140% of their normal workload. Wow. Yeah. So, sorry, you said these are professional triathletes? Yes. Okay. And do you have a sense of like what 140% of a normal triathlete workload is? I mean, triathletes train a ton. I imagine yeah. it's probably like, I, I mean, don't know, like 60 if you hours want to put it, Yeah, if you want to put it in time terms, like let's say they're training 30 hours a week as it is, mm -hmm. add another 40% on top of that, and you're talking about, what is that, 42 hours a week? I mean, that's so really I guess substantial. For as normal working peons, it's like you normally work a 40-hour week, bump it up by 40%, you're working almost a 60-hour like week. Like almost a 60-hour week, yeah. Okay, that's exhausting. Yeah, and you do that for three weeks. Okay. So like it's not just like a couple days or it's not just like one, one race where that tires you out. I don't know. This is why I say it would not have been fun to be in the, the overload group for this study. Yeah. So they split them into these two. They do the training overload. And specifically, they're not putting them to the overtraining level, which is like what gives you that overtraining syndrome. They're just doing um, what's called overreaching. And the symptoms of overreaching is 
you should expect to see a decreased maximum power output and an increased rating of perceived exertion. Okay, so one objective quantity that they can actually measure and then one sort of like questionnaire kind of thing like how much do you feel like you're exerting yes exactly okay and that's how much exactly, do you feel like you're exerting yourself yeah and that's exactly how they end up testing it throughout this study oh cool okay so is it like every day they're testing like caloric output and then questioning them and building up those statistics or so they did a couple things um one was immediately before that three-week training period they had everyone do a maximum power output test on the bike uh, and then they did that again immediately after the training period. So they get a baseline of what is your actual maximum power output. And I think that's just a number in watts. Okay. And then after you've done this three weeks of either overtraining or normal training, you do the test again and you see how much it changes. Okay. Were they controlling for things like caloric intake and stuff like that? I mean, like the people who are overloading, are they getting enough calories and like it's not just, they're not just running into a deficit? Uh, yeah, I... So they don't specifically, well, they do sort of mention at the end that um, it, it's probably not like a glucose shortage or anything like that, because I think the athletes were just allowed to eat freely the way that they normally would. Mm-hmm. I think the idea is to not interrupt anything about these athletes' normal regimen, except just the volume of work that they're doing. Okay. So, I mean, if you tried to have them all get on like the exact same diet or something for this six weeks, you actually would probably get more inaccurate results than if you just allow them to continue doing what then, they normally do because then it's swinging all over the place and right i mean and you're adding different factors that you're controlling yeah and there's several different parts in this study where they point out like we split the athletes based on their performance and so you know there's a there's a good spread of of how good of a triathlete they are in both groups mm-hmm. and presumably that also means there's a good spread of kind of what diets they have really the only variable that is like controlled different is just the amount that they trained okay i'm just trying to think yeah trying to think of like alternate explanations but we can talk about that more in the results section okay yeah well yeah well yeah we'll get to that at the end so and then also like you pointed out there was there was a questionnaire and they had them do this questionnaire every two days for the entire duration of the study and it's just it's called the brunel mood scale i think Mm -hmm. it probably just asks you like how do you feel and you know on a scale of one to ten, yeah. How much did you exert yourself? Yeah, I'm sure there's like you know tons of questions, and they put it into a score and named after Mark Brunel, the early starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, that's who it's named after. Awesome. Who had a classic case of overtraining, and then they developed this questionnaire to <laughs> and failed out of the league. <laughs> so between those two things, there were some interesting results. Yeah. Yeah. So as they expected since they're going for this overreaching condition for the maximum power output, the group that did the overtraining had reduced power output. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they got this, the result they were looking for, whereas the control group didn't, um, yeah. they were, they were the same. Actually, I think they may have even increased their performance slightly. What happened with the perceived? So the perceived, Exertion. uh, what they call it subjective fatigue. The overreaching athletes had an increase in subjective fatigue. But there was no increase in depression, which is good. That's good. Yeah. Wait, so what does that mean? An increase in subjective fatigue? Like they reported that they were more tired? Yeah, like I think that just means like, how tired do you feel today? Okay. You know, scale of 1 to 10. I don't think it's actually probably scale of 1 to 10, but it's... Something like, some yeah. 
They also said, um, and there, there was actually a really interesting plot. So they did this task. So why don't we jump to the next task, which is this behavioral task. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that they had these kind of like real psychology study type things where they were asked questions. For example, like, would you prefer $10 right now or $60 in six months? Okay. And they're hooked old, up. The old marshmallow quiz. Yeah, exactly. The marshmallow test. And so they're hooked up to an fMRI, like a brain scan, when they're doing that task. Yep. And kind of what was cool about this is that they did the task, and then they did this 45 minutes, like, farthest distance you can go. So basically like a bike test. I mean, that would require insane exertion, right? And then they do the task again. So they're trying to identify, like, is it just being physically exhausted that causes this brain function to decline? Or is it the long-term effects of overtraining? Hmm. So the control group was also doing this 45 minute test. And so theoretically, if it was just like the if it was just like the feeling of having done a workout, then everyone's performance would decline. That should be popping up across all the individuals in the test. Right. But they found that that's actually not the case. Okay. I mean, I have a sense of probably what happened, but tell me more. So it's (laughs) this one wasn't as clear cut as some of the others. Really? Okay. never mind. They had all these um, parameters, I guess, that kind of define how they performed on these tests. And I'm not a psychology researcher. So like they and they talk about these tests in very like plain terms, just like, oh, well, we use the NBAC test. And I'm like, oh, like common methods, probably in psychological research. Right. And so they have they have all these ways of kind of quantifying all this. And they basically say all the parameters, there was no significant difference, except when you do like a regression model against it. There's one parameter that jumps out, which is called the immediacy bias. Mm-hmm. And so it, it basically is like, it's like a factor that they just adjust the the curves by that takes into account your preference for immediate gratification over delayed gratification. Okay. So your immediacy bias would cause you to answer, I prefer $10 now instead of $60 in six months. Yeah. Um, and so what they found is that the group that was overtraining had like a significant difference in just that immediacy bias really yeah so sorry i need to get a glass of water real quick okay talking about it is making me tired dude see what i mean like i was reading this on the bike and i just got exhausted reading it uh yeah i mean hearing it i'm like it's sort of in the back of my mind i'm like oh my god i need to sleep more and like yeah i'm feeling this yeah this is also a very like technical paper and so just all the language kind of like exhausted me mentally. Yeah. <laughs> and it was early in the morning and I was like, Ugh. it's a lot. So, I mean that's that's pretty interesting. Sort of like they're tired of making decisions. They sort of I think this was like really popular research a couple of years ago. This idea that like you can only make so many decisions in the day. There was an article that came out like about Obama about the fact that like he wears one of two suits, a gray suit or a blue suit. Cause he's like, don't make too many decisions early in the morning. Yeah, dude, th- uh, that actually, they talk about that later on in like the discussion session. Really? That this model that they're suggesting about cognitive control system fatigue is like in direct contrast with that theory that you have like a limited amount of some resource that is dedicated to decision-making mm-hmm. and that as you expend it, you, you take away from your future ability to do it it's in conflict with that it's in conflict with that because uh 
that effect that you're talking about occurs on much shorter timescales. So that's like, that's over the course, that's over like minutes. Whereas this is talking about an effect that takes hold over the course of weeks. And, oh. I mean, and then you could be looking at decisions that you're trying to make that are long-term consequence decisions, you know? So you really can get to a point where it's like, if you're working too much, you start... You just start in general losing that ability to... I mean, so that the theory that you're suggesting about yeah, at a certain point in the day, you can't do it anymore. Yeah. Suggests that if you just take a day off, you could come back and be fresh. But as you can see from like these overtraining studies, that's not the case. It's like you need like another couple week. weeks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so I mean, part of me is just like that makes sense because they're exhausted. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but then I guess there is sort of this long-term buildup of exhaustion that occurs, and it takes like weeks for that to get like sort of pushed out of your system and replenished and yeah you know yeah well and so they actually so i mentioned how after the training phase they do another two weeks of like a taper Mm -hmm. and then they measure their they measure their maximum power output again after that so two weeks of like pretty light training yeah and they the overtrained athletes return to normal they actually had a slight increase in their power output after two weeks after two weeks yeah interesting because then i wonder did the overtraining help? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the increase was not like a statistically significant increase. Okay. Like it wasn't like they increased significantly more than the non-overtrained athletes did. I wonder if they had only done a single week of taper. So that's what I would have liked to see more of is like more kind of fine grain results, mm-hmm. which actually I started to say before and then I totally derailed myself because I'm all over the place right now. But uh, they did during that 45 minute like max bike test. Yeah. Every two minutes, they asked them to rate how tired do you feel? Which I have to say, I would want to punch someone who came up to me every two minutes and asked me to answer a question. How long are those like tests? That. It's 45 minutes. Oh, sorry. It's 45 minutes. You said that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Every two minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. Like by the end of that, I mean, you're so exhausted. But so what they found is that um, the overtrained athletes, they performed worse on the 45-minute test, but their perceived exhaustion was higher Wow! At, e- at every two-minute interval. So, I mean, you can see this kind of curve like over the 45 minutes. Yep. It's I guess it's a little hard to see because I printed it in black and white, but the y-axis is this rating of perceived exertion. And throughout the entire race, the overtrained athletes are like substantially above the regularly trained athletes. That's interesting. So their sense of exertion is thrown off as well. Sort of yeah, this, this like more mental tool that we have for figuring out where we're at. Not only are they performing worse, but presumably they feel like they're exerting more energy. Yes, exactly. And they're probably performing mm-hmm. worse because they feel more tired. You know, like it's the causation is actually probably the other way around. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that suggests like, I mean, the feeling That's of point. tiredness is a mental feeling you know i mean it's physical like it's lactic acid and all that but presumably if you have the same physical capability as the guy next to you and you're and you're exerting the same wattage over some time like you're producing the same stuff in your body you have the same amount of lactic acid or whatever it is that causes the burning sensation but in your brain there has to be something telling you push through that sensation totally 
And when you feel like more exhausted, you're not going to do that. Because a lot of training is like training of your nervous system. It totally is. Like, I mean, I can relate to this, at least just from climbing. It's like this idea of like, you're so tired, you let go because you're like, oh, I couldn't possibly hold on longer. But like your actual threshold for like letting go, you can hold on for way longer than you think to like yeah. hold. Like if you just hold on to like a pull-up bar, you're like hold on until you fall off, you will consciously let go before you physically let go. Yes, exactly. Oftentimes, I think. And that is a that is this immediacy bias. Like, hmm. So now if you're overtraining, you're going to be way more likely to let go like that, like you just said. Yeah. So from your perceived exhaustion. This is really interesting. So I, part of me was curious about that. Like if they had done a test at a one-week taper, if, you know, we're looking at this sort of one-dimensionally. Like if you overtrain, you're going to feel tired and you're going to like there's no benefit to it yeah you'll just feel exhausted and you'll perform worse but i wonder if like long term if there's something that you gain from pushing yourself through that only because like there are lots of examples of like organizations that push people like this that are very successful and i don't know if that's just like a weeding out or if it's like training yeah it's i get it's different i think when you're talking about like the workplace or like an or like a company because you can push people and then replace them. Whereas an athlete, like your results are like consistently from you, the person mm -hmm. over your entire life. So, you know, they, they presented one example. The author said this is kind of like a classic case. Uh, Alberto Salazar, who was a distance runner in the 80s, quote, experienced a mysterious decline after winning the New York Marathon three times and the Boston Marathon once in the early 1980s. Salazar's times fell off, even though he was still in his mid-20s and training more than ever. And so, so Bastian suggests okay. he, he was probably overtraining. This was probably a psychological problem more than... So with a company that pushes people really hard, like SpaceX or something, Yeah, if people get mentally fatigued, they'll just get fired or they'll quit. They'll find another job. And so the company can keep producing, but those people ultimately... I mean, they quit like they didn't want they didn't want to do this. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. So the organization like carries on. I wonder, though, for like Navy SEALs, because, you know, like the prime example is like Hell Week where yeah. you don't sleep and like it's the epitome of like doesn't matter how good of a shape you're in. They're just going to push you to your mental exhaustion and then keep pushing you. Yeah. Like, I wonder if you come away from something like that and then perform yeah I, it's again, i mean it's I mean, not it's not really the question of the study so it doesn't fit and i think again like it comes down to what are the goals there you know like for navy seals the their long-term achievement goal is not to win a race that's a year away like their goal is like persevere when you're right it's actually to figure out like exactly at what point does your mind break yeah because you may actually be in some specific scenario at some random time that we can't predict you may be pushed to that point. Yes. You know, that's true. So like with athletes, like, you know, endurance athletes, they operate on these training cycles where you have sort of like micro cycles, which could be like kind of a three day. Today's like a cardio day. And then tomorrow's lifting. And the day after that is, you know, sprinting. And that's like a micro cycle. And you repeat that. And then on the macro cycle, you change those workouts over the course of a couple months and so you kind of increase your weight load over a couple months and you increase the amount of sprinting you're doing, yada, yada. And then there's like an even larger cycle, which is like if you're training for the Olympics four years away, 
each year has a different structure to it. And so mm-hmm. if your ultimate goal is four years away, I don't think overtraining for three years is going to make you better at the Olympics. No, no, not at all. And then, I mean, that's, like, that's a great example for and putting it into putting it into perspective. As Dan Carlin would say. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of just speaking anecdotally at this point. I, I can't say that for sure, but. I mean, yeah, it does at least on first order make sense. I think I bring this example up probably like three out of every four episodes, <laughs> but it reminds me of Skylab that when the astronauts actually like mutinied. Yes. Cut contact with Houston for a day because they were being overworked. Yeah. And they were like, we need rest. We need rest. And I think they were only getting like six hours of sleep a night because the work schedule was so strenuous. Yeah. And this sparked some interesting studies. I almost wonder if like I shouldn't get into it too much. We should do a bonus episode on it because that'd be sick. We could do a bonus episode on it. Yeah. But but touch on what you're going to say as a teaser for a future bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so it sparked a lot of research on sleep and performance. And they looked at sort of the similar metric, but on psychometric tests like perceived performance, perceived number of mistakes, and actual performance, actual number of mistakes. And basically, there's this divergence. And yeah, I won't go into too many of the details, but it's like, it's interesting. Human perception and performance are so closely tied. And especially in these instances when they start to deviate or like go off unexpectedly, it's it's interesting. Yeah. We are, you know, we're all trying to do our best and perform well, but I know. Be happy. It's, it's crazy. Like, We've got to be one of the few creatures that willingly, like basically for fun, you know, not for survival, just push ourselves to the limit of like what our bodies even allow. Yeah. Dogs are like, can I wag my tail anymore? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just can can I express my pleasure anymore? Can I nap any longer? (laughs) I'll try. I've had a couple dogs that have certainly pushed that limit (laughs) yeah so we're going kind of long here i want to touch on kind of the last sort of how this wraps up i guess or not how it wraps up but it's kind of what i think the authors sort of suggest tie this all together so they do these brain scans and they do these after the three-week training phase Mm -hmm. and again they're having them do these like typical cognitive tasks that again i don't really understand but they're measuring brain activity in different regions. And they're comparing, I guess, the difference in the brain activity between the control group and the overtrained group. And what they conti- like consistently find is that there was a decreased excitability of the middle frontal gyrus. Okay. Which coincidentally was my nickname at Bandcamp. <laughs> middle frontal gyrus? Yeah. I actually wrote that in the Google Doc here. <laughs> 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 but so they, they find this decreased excitability of the middle frontal gyrus, which they say is a candidate for uh, a region that mediates the impact of cognitive control fatigue on choice impulsivity. So because they found this result here with these athletes, and then they also found that a similar result with um, people who have been intellectually overworked, they're suggesting that there is actually a neural basis that they think is located in this MFG that's the region we talked about, which means that that MFG is susceptible to fatigue. It's like kind of the weak spot of this whole control system that they're theori- that they're proposing. That's, I mean, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's so like I should look at the I ex- fMRIs. I explained that really poorly 
But basically, like, there were very few differences in the brain scans between these two groups, except that one particular region. Yeah. And they're like, it's really interesting that that is a region that is highly associated with this impulsive choice kind of decision making. And that we also see the fatigued athletes have this immediacy bias, which is like an impulsive choice to make. Yeah. And the impulsive choice, as we've said many times now, is what causes you to perform worse because you are deciding to give up a little bit now in 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 exchange for those long-term goals basically. right in exchange for yeah. long-term performance so do they suggest any other studies that would be interesting or any like modifications to the experiments that would sort of grant them new insight like they, doing longer-term studies looking at different cohorts they do say that they would like to do a study on actual overtraining not just overreaching but they uh-huh. also say at the beginning of the study we didn't overtrain the athletes for obvious ethical reasons. So I don't really know how they would do that one. To actually oh. find athletes willing to overtrain themselves. Yeah, I mean, even the overreaching sounded really hard. Yeah, and I'm sure you're do- just doing overreaching, you're probably increasing your risk of injury and things like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a potential sacrifice to your athletic career. So yeah, so they do say they want to do that. Um, they also sort of suggest that this could be sort of like a broadly a applicable principle since they found it in intellectual overstimulation and athletic overstimulation they say quote these findings could perhaps be extended to other types of work overload like work management and healthcare." Mm-hmm. so going back to this whole idea of physicians being burnt out that we talked about earlier yeah because excessive work is one of the possible routes to burnout syndrome so i think they would just like to kind of keep looking at different groups of people who are susceptible to being overworked in any context no that's really interesting the other thing that they mention here at the end which i thought was kind of an interesting point is overtrained athletes are at risk of doping really yeah because they say um for an overtrained athlete their decisions will favor immediacy of performance over long-term achievements so to them if they're slipping they're gonna they're gonna make the impulsive you know the, the wrong choice to dope even though that is a sacrifice to their long-term like achievements in that they could get banned or it's bad for your health and will like cut several years off of your athletic lifetime yeah it's horribly dangerous yeah so they say like they basically are trying to say like there is a neurological basis for this and so you should be especially aware of overtrained athletes when when looking at you know potential doping causes and stuff interesting that's i mean that's really interesting it's like I think it's another case of losing the forest for the trees. It's like if you lose sort of this greater context, when your performance drops, you can be like, wow, I'm not working hard enough. I need to work more. And it's this. It could be so slippery slope. Yeah. I mean, I've, I definitely have felt like that in grad school for sure too. You're like, man, if I just like got to force myself to read more papers and do another podcast. (laughs) Yeah. No, but actually, though, like, I mean, you, you, I think we all know a student, uh, you and I are lucky to have advisors who are very um, understanding of work-life balance, mm-hmm. but we all know someone who's in a lab that is working 80 hours a week yeah. and like, and then after grad school, you know, it's kind of like, it a bragging right, almost like, oh, well, I went through hell and I did this and it's like, okay, but I mean... You were working 80 hours a week and I was working 40 and we both got a PhD and, <laughs> and like we both did equally important work. I don't know. Yeah. And it's like, 
What of course, there, there, of course, there are going to be times when you're like, oh, man, like, I don't enjoy this aspect of it. But like, you know, it should be fun. And if yeah, making it fun means like take a break, take a step away so that you come back with like energy and passion the next day or the next week, like that's worth a lot. Right. And if 80 hours is overworking you to the point of burnout, then you may actually only be getting 50 or 60 productive hours out of that. Yeah. Because you could just work 50 hours and be equally productive yep you know i don't know you're right it, it could be very easy to fall into overtraining in any setting totally well this is interesting i'm glad you brought this one in yeah thanks it, for tipping me off totally it's an another one of those things where it's like you know you kind of get this intuition for it and you have a hunch that it appears but to have it confirmed with control groups and scientific evidence is like it's interesting yeah it's also it's like, you know, having been in this position of like an endurance athlete training, you know, 25 hours a week. Yeah. It's like, it's like one of those things where, you know, the teacher is like, how do I, how do I really teach these kids math? Oh, like I need to put it in their own terms. Like, so you have three baseballs and two basketballs, you know, like, <laughs> so like this is one of these things where burnout is an effect that happens at work. But yeah. here's this paper, you know shouting at me like so let's say you're rowing and you erg too much on tuesday i'm like yeah oh i get it yeah like thank you for relating to me there you go this is what is taking you this long yeah to realize what was happening yeah no it's cool how so after reading the article how do you think that the popular news outlets did in actually treating this topic well i mentioned at the beginning that the New York Post one was slightly misleading. So it talks about how uh, it says the study revealed that endurance athletes who overtrained made more impulsive choices when it came to their finances, eating habits, and self-care. Did I mention any of those things at any point in this? No. Right. This study does not talk anything about finances, <laughs> eating habits, and self-care. So I figured out that the New York Post article clearly didn't read the paper. They just read other news articles on this. And there was a CNN article that interviewed another guy, Dr. Marc-Andre Cornier, who is at Colorado University, who is kind of saying like, well, we should be cautious about this study because these are endurance athletes. Like they're operating on a different plane than most of us. Yeah. Here's some research that I've done that says for regular people, burnout can affect your eating habits, your financial decisions, and your self-care. Oh. So he talks about those things and the CNN article has kind of a whole couple paragraphs on it. So it's like the New York Post just read CNN and wrote an article about it? Yeah. And so CNN is very clear about saying this is this other research from 2016 and how it might kind of tie into what this new research is. New York Post did not get that. And they, they reported that this study suggests these things. And it's like, well... It's like this new study doesn't suggest that and it doesn't try it's to. sort of blending both and it's like, well, no, that's not actually what it's saying. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's a fine point, but it's exactly how misinformation gets spread. Totally. Yeah. Like this is a small example that probably won't hurt anyone. But, you know, when you see it in these things, you know that it's happening in other places. Yeah. This can't be the first time. I mean, that's a really interesting find. To actually like see that and diagnose it basically from these popular news articles. I mean, it's amazing because it's just super obvious once you read the paper. I mean, even if you read the abstract of this new paper, like 
you know that I, I don't know like these, these journal like the journalist for New York Post just doesn't do any due diligence. It's like how, I don't understand how you can write a news article that is just reporting on other news articles. Yeah, that's it's, not it's journalism. Telefo- it's like the preschool game of telephone. Yeah, I mean that's literally at that point this article is a complete waste of space. Yeah. It's like actively harming society to exist. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, that's interesting. We should send them an email. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, good find. Good find. Cool. Well, thanks so much for reading this in, doing your due diligence, combating fake news <laughs> as a true paper boy. I'm honor- honored to be sharing the set with you today. <laughs> well, thanks, James. That was very high praise for what was a very scatterbrained episode. No, I, I, I definitely have some of this uh, mental fatigue that's going around. This episode is causing me mental fatigue, just thinking about it. It is, man. Like this was, I was expecting this to be kind of light reading almost and like, oh, well, I'll really understand this and I'll be able to relate. And then reading the paper, I was like, wow, I'm exhausted just thinking about this. It's making me like realize that I think I've been either working too much or not sleeping enough the last yeah. couple of weeks too. Yeah. Let's shut the mics off. Go take a nap. Call it a day. Call it a day. Yeah. Time to wrap up. Well, thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, if you haven't already, please do check us out on social media. At Paperboys Pod is our handle on Instagram and Twitter. We also have a Patreon with excellent bonus episodes, if I can say so modestly. Um, James is also a very objective source on this. Yes. The New York New York Post says. New York Post reported that we're a great bonus episode. Those are coming out every month, so check it out. Patreon.com slash paperboyspod. The lowest tier is $3.14, only pie dollars. So check it out. It, we, it would really mean a lot to us. Yeah, it goes a long way towards making this show actually happen. I mean, James and I love recording the regular episodes, but, um, you know, it's hard as grad students. It's hard to be motivated all the time, and having... That little extra support from uh, those dedicated fans on our Patreon really, really means a lot to us. So if you're a fan of the show, we really appreciate it if you just gave it gave it a, what am I trying to say? Give it the old college try. Give it the old college try. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, and please join us again next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.